Man, that song says it all. Amen? That was awesome. So if you're new with us this week, or maybe you've been here a lot of weeks, you just haven't been paying attention, um, this is the week you're going to want to pay attention. Uh, but we're in this series uh, that we're, we're calling the story, and, and we're going through this narrative of the Bible. And, and we're going from, from gener- Genesis to, to Revelation. And now this week, uh, as we're, we're, I think it's week, where we are in week eight, we're, as we come up to this point in week eight, and we've come to this time uh, known as the Judges, I, I think... Uh, we really see uh, the children of Israel have taken, um, at this point, they've taken like the, the promised land, uh, the, uh, the, land that, uh, the land that God promised uh, to Abraham. But I believe at this point um, in, the, in the story, we've come kind of like to a, a turning point. And, I, and I'm going to kind of get into that a, a little bit. But, but I, I wonder, um, for those of you that have been in the workforce, a lot of you guys have been working for, for many years, or maybe some of you, you young adults, you've just kind of started your, uh, your opportunities in, in work. And um, I, wanna, I want you to take a moment and think about, just for a moment, maybe the craziest off-the-wall boss you've ever had. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw out names or give you the one, uh, the the people that I've worked for that have been crazy. But I may or may not be currently working in that position right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna say names, but I just want you to take a moment and think about, you know, just maybe the craziest, just the off the wall boss that you may um, maybe have had. Um, maybe for for you, this boss has has just made some maybe off-the-wall decisions or, or, or had ideas that were, were just kind of difficult to comprehend and you, just, you just didn't understand them. Maybe your, maybe your boss talked to themselves or something like that or they had like a weird habit or a weird tick. Like, um, if, uh, now, if you've ever served in the military, and I know many of you have, um, you get a wide array of bosses and supervisors that come your way. You just never know because as you're working in the military, all these people come from different parts of the country and you're just kind of grouped together and, and you're forced to work with these people. And so like the possibilities are endless when it comes to working, uh, like who could be your boss when, when you're serving in the military. Uh, my dad served in the, the army for, for several years and, and he, he doesn't talk much about his, his time serving, but he does tell the one story is he's, he's serving in the army. He's an officer. He's in El Paso at Fort, uh, Fort Bliss, I believe. And, and, and you have to understand Fort Bliss is, is I've never been there, but from what I understand, it's just like an army base smacked in the smack dab in the middle of a, just a giant desert. So it offers a great opportunity for a lot of like tank um, training and they can set off explosives and different things like that because they're out in the middle of the desert. And my dad goes on to say that they would have to go out and do these like live grenade training operations. And, and he tells, he tells the story of his, of his company commander. They would go out and, and he would show them the, like how to, how to do the live grenades. And the only problem is, as my dad says, uh, the guy could not throw. He, <laughs> he, my dad's, uh, no offense, my dad said he threw like a girl. <laughs> Maybe even worse. And, and so it kind of poses a problem. And he tells of a time of this, his, company, his company commander pulls the, the thing off the top of the grenade and goes to throw it, and he says it lands maybe five feet in front of us. It bounces off the wall that they're protected by, and he says all of a sudden you see everyone in the platoon scatter. <laughs> and my dad said, always has wondered, why would they put a, a man in charge of a job that he could not do and put all the rest of the soldiers at risk? 
And my dad said, what? That's my supervisor. That was the company commander. He was the boss. And, and, and this morning, as we open our Bibles to the book of, of Judges, the narrative, of, the, of I believe, at this point of the Bible start to ch- starts to change at this point. Things start to focus on Israel as a whole. Israel would go through a series of, of, of ups and downs, as you guys will read this week. They would go through a series of, of different leaders and, 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 or, or judges. They didn't really have kings back then. They just called them judges. Each judge, of course, just like our bosses have flaws, but each judge would have different flaws. And, and, and after, I mean, after all, like, of course, we're human, right? Our, we're, we, we have flaws ourselves. Why wouldn't our bosses or those in charge or our leading wouldn't have flaws? But, but, God, but, um, but God will show us today that he can use even those with flaws for his purpose to get what he wants done for his kingdom. One of those leaders was named Gideon. And, and, and here's why this narrative that, that, I just, that I was just talking about is so important to every single person in this room. This is why this book that you guys are going to read, as you're going to go home this week, you're going to read through, through, your story, through chapter 8 in your storybooks, and it's about judges. And this is why this is so important to every single person who sits in this room today. It appears as if though God wanted us to understand how he's going to work with us, in the worst possible scenarios of living. It's like you wanted to express to us, you know, you know, like when the rug is pulled out from under you in your life, when the odds are against you, when the bottom has dropped out of everything, when you feel like all hope is gone and there's no hope left. God says, this is the way I'm going to work with you. God says, I want to help you. And so God gives us, I believe, six principles by which we are to live when we find ourselves in a situation where there's no rhyme or reason for what's happening in our lives. When, when we have no idea how we're going to be able to turn around and get our lives back on track. And these six principles, I believe, we see in the life of Gideon. So it's like we, we, we're going to take a little pause for a moment and we, we're, going to take, we're going to take Israel as a whole and, and, and we're going to look at the particular life of Gideon. And the first principle uh, to, which God, to which we live is, is God will use our difficulties to build my faith. God always uses opportunities to build your faith. One of the things God wants to do in your life is, is build your faith in his faithfulness. God wants, God wants us in a situation where he can send whatever he wants your way or my way and allow whatever he wants to happen into your life and you will still trust and be faithful in him. Which means, which means he doesn't want you going, kicking and screaming and begging or you're going to bail out of the situation which happens so much. You'll stay in it no matter what God has for you until the end. He, until he is able to accomplish his purposes for you in this, in this world. If I were to ask everyone in this room if, if you would want to do fantastic for this world or, or something great for God, and you raised your hand and you, and you said, yeah, I want to do that, that would be a good thing, right? It would be good as long as you have to understand one thing about that. If you want to do something great for God you're going to have to be willing to go out into the wilderness. And that, I believe, is where God does his best training. 
This is, this is where Gideon comes in. Gideon, at this point, when we pick up in his life, he's in the wilderness. The Israelites have, have been in this promised land for a while now. They, they went through the Red Sea and they took Jericho and now they're living in this land, a, a land that's flowing with, with milk and honey. The only problem is, is that milk and honey has become a distraction to them. They no longer worship God. He has become an inconvenience. They've turned away from him. Does this sound familiar to you? It seems, even in our lives, it seems like the more blessings that we get, the, the more distracted we are. The less we come to church, the less we do our Bible studies, the, rest, the, the less we start going to Sunday school. I wonder how many of you here, in here are at church today, but you don't really want to be here. Yeah, you woke up and you're kind of begrudging about that. And, and maybe this morning, God was an inconvenience. You didn't want to come to church. It's Sunday. It's cloudy. You wanted to sleep in. There's too, there's too many things out there to do, to do that he blesses you with, right? There's too many things that we get distracted when, when he starts blessing us. The one who supplies you with all the blessings is now an inconvenience. You know, staff members in, in, in the church see this all the time. Someone has a, has a tough time. And, 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 you know, they, they go to the church and they, they say, we need prayer and, and we need money. And, 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 and you know, the, the church will step in and, and help out. And all too often, the church meets a need or a member meets another member's need and we never see them again. Or we'll see them again, but it's when they need help again. God has become an inconvenience to Israel. So God sends in a nation to, to discipline uh, the people he loves. In this case, it's, it's, the Men, it's the Menites and the Amalekites. They come in and the Israelites are hiding in the caves and in the holes in the ground. Hiding as if they were, they were cowards because they're afraid. Um, they're afraid these, these Menite warriors are, are what they're going to do. I guess I would be too. There's 135,000 of them. 135,000 well-trained warriors, and they are attempting to defeat Israel. And rather than, than warfare, they're going to they're gonna wait until, until harvest time. So when it's time to harvest the crops, the, Menites come de- uh, they, the, the Mennonites come out down to the field, and, and the Bible says they're like locusts. They're everywhere. They come down, and they try to burn all the crops. They are trying to commit like genocide by starvation. They're going to try and kill all the livestock. They're going, to, they're going to starve everyone to death and take over all the land. So Gideon is in this wilderness, and one day while he's out thrashing wheat in the wine press, he's got a, a one hand on the, on the wheat and one, hand, one eye on the, on the wall to make sure that the, the, the Minnites aren't going to come down. And, and suddenly, instead, an angel of the Lord appears. And the angel says to him, O valiant warrior! And Gideon's response is pretty much like, don't call me that. Don't, don't call me that. Don't you see, don't you see what we're, what's happening here? We're all living like cowards. We're living in holes in the ground. And, and we're living in the mountains and, and we're afraid. Don't call me that. This is what Gideon says in Judges chapter 6, verse 13. He says this, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
Where are all his wonders and that, that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the, did the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has, a, has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Sounds like Gideon's a little sarcastic here. And the truth is, God could have struck him down right there dead. God could have said, you want the truth? He says, let's talk, let's talk about the, the Israelites' adultery and, and all that idol worship. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about the reason you're in the in this situation because every man in Israel is doing what is right in his own eyes. You've forsaken the law, you have no gratitude, and you're just living in a sense of entitlement. God doesn't do, God doesn't do that, though. God is not interested in, in, in the reason why. Seldom is he. He just asked Gideon, do you want in or not? And Gideon says, yes, yes, but God, how do I know you're going to use me as a good example? Or are you going to use me as a bad example, God? Gideon then gives God three situations that, that, that if he gives to him, then he wants, that he wants to know that if he gives to God, that he'll, he'll actually like do it. And, and normally God isn't that kind of negotiator, I found out. Quick in my life, I don't know about you, but yet usually God doesn't do well with negotiations. God needs Gideon to become a, a giant slayer at this point. He needs Gideon's faith to, to, to be built so much upon, upon God that he will do exactly what God asked him to do without question. God needs Gideon. So Gideon lays out a fleece on the ground and tells God, when I wake up, I want dew to be on the fleece, but I want it to be dry on all the ground around it. And he wakes up, and that's exactly what happened. Still not good enough for Gideon, though. Then Gideon tells God, now when I wake up tomorrow, I want the fleece to be dry, but I want the ground around it to be wet. And God, too, uh, God does this, too, but still it's not good enough. Not one time does God reprimand Gideon, though, because he's trying to build his trust and worthiness in him. How do you train somebody to slay a giant? You've got to send them into the wilderness. You have to throw them into the fire. Test after test to see how they will respond. And today God wants you to get, get this point that, that you understand the, the battle you're going through. All of us are, are maybe going through a battle or have been through a battle at one time or another. Whatever battle you're going through today, the battle does not belong to you. It belongs to him. God knows every situation around it. And in order for him to take on your battle, he's going to put you in situations where, where he's going to pull, pull out the rug from underneath you, where, he, where you have nowhere to turn but to God, where the odds are, are completely stacked against you. When, when you're ready to do that, when, you're, when you allow him to do that in your life, then you're ready to go to the next level. God will take advantage of every opportunity to build your faith and every opportunity to demonstrate his faithfulness to his word. And while you're, in the, while you're in the wilderness, God will also, number two, second principle, God will often require us to do what seems unreasonable. Has this ever been you? That is why God is building your faith. 135,000 Midians, 135 well-trained, battle-ready Midians, 32,000 Israelites, 32,000 well-trained farmers. 
Now, anyone that knows me knows I'm not great at math. We just did a math problem in Sunday school this morning. I was out. Right? And, and so, if you, so just stick with me. I, I'm looking at the odds with these numbers, I think in four to one. Four to one odds. So God calls a meeting with Gideon and he tells him how he's going to go to the battle. Judges 7, 1 through 2 says, Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the men camped out in the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord, the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into the hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, I know God is, is an all-knowing. I know God is all-knowing and, and way smarter than me, but I'm thinking the numbers just don't add up here. Gideon, at this point, must be thinking like, like there's no way. Our 32,000 men can take on their 135,000, and now you're telling me I've got to cut back? There's too many of them? Gideon, at this point, is probably saying, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding me. But God is building his faith. God says, take your men down to the valley, line them up and ask them, how many of you are afraid? I believe God asked Gideon to do this because in battle, fear is contagious. One man is afraid or scared, the whole group is going to be scared. One coward breeds another. God is saying, if you think I'm not in charge of this war, and if you're afraid, you won't, if, you, if you're afraid it, and you're scared, and, and I'm in charge of this war, you're not going to follow what I need you to do when the time comes to go to battle. He says, I don't need you if you're afraid. I won't be able to use you if you're afraid. Go home. So Gideon asked, how many of you are afraid? 22,000 people raised their hand. He said, pack your stuff and go home. Now we're down to 10,000. Verse 135,000. Again, math, not my strong point. 13 to 1 odds. God tells Gideon to take the 10,000 down to the spring of Herod and, and as they go down, to, to drink. Be very careful and watch how they drink. He says, pay, pay special attention. Some will get down on one knee and they'll have their hand on their sword as they drink. And they'll cup their hand and they'll drink and some will have their hand on their sword. Watch very closely for them. Take, take notice of every other of man that does that. And then there'll be the rest of them. And take notice of them too. Because they're going to they're gonna get down on all fours and they're going to lap their water like a dog. Pay attention to those men too. God tells Gideon, every man that laps their water like a dog, tell them to pack their stuff and go. 7,000 men got down and lapped up their water like dogs. You see, a person who gets down on all fours is not ready for battle. They're only concerned about themselves. They're not concerned about the rest of the army. That leaves 300 men. 450 to 1 odds. You see, you see this spring was very close to enemy lines. And when the men got down with one hand and the, and the sword and used the, the other to cup the water, God says, those are the men I need. I need those men who are willing to watch out for the rest of the other men. They're ser- those are the ones that are serious about battle. Those are the ones that are serious about war. If they're not serious, send them home. When you spend some time in ministry, one thing is very clear. There are a lot of people in the battle, but not all of them are serious about it. 
Jesus says, if you're going to come and follow me, you've got to die to yourself. That means a point in your life, God requires something of you. He requires something of all of us. He might ask you to give up something. And it may not even be anything that's morally wrong. It's just that he needs you, he needs you to do that to advance his kingdom. And when you die to yourself, it means that, that, that your kingdom is, is no longer the most important, but it's his kingdom. Did you know that in the U.S. military during times of war, falling asleep while on watch is punishable by death? It's still a real life rule, right? Right? <laughs> I was there. I knew it. It's, a, it's still a real life rule. All men and women who serve must be sure to follow. War is a serious thing. Battle is a serious thing. And today in God's kingdom, in his church, and in, in this church today at HCC, I believe there's a lot of people in the battle, but they're not serious about the battle. Whatever God requires of us, no matter, no matter what it is, we must give it up. I don't, care, I don't care what it is. Everything on this earth belongs to God. It's all his. It's not ours. It's not yours. It's just on loan to us right now. What in your life right now are you holding on to that's God's? What are you holding on to that, that's preventing God from doing the work that needs to be done in his kingdom? Are we... Our response to insignificant tests will often be the determining factor of what God will do in our lives. Third principle, God will always lead us to which gives him the most glory. God is all about his glory. It's not that he needs glory to, to like make himself better or build himself up. Judges 7-2 um, says this, Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. See, if God allowed the 32,000 men to go to war, I believe they would just boast about it and it would be all about them and they'd be back right in the same situation they were in the first place. When the odds are 450 to 1 though, the only way to be victorious is through God. There's no other way. You see, I believe that if the odds were, were any lower, it would be too easy for the Israelites to, to give themselves glory, right? And that's not what God wants. He wants us to give him glory. God loves putting, putting situations in our lives where the only way we can get out is through him and by testifying that God is real and giving him all the glory. We're never given an answer as to, as to why we're put out into the wilderness. There are no real answers to that. I don't know why you're in the situation that you're in. I guess there's too many possibilities. We are all told, however, that God takes the wilderness experience. He takes that, the faith that we display and requires us sometimes to do something that is unreasonable and leads us to a place in which gives him the most glory of all. Isn't it true, though, in our blessings and abundance, we become distracted we lose focus on God. This week as you read chapter 8 in your story Bibles, you see this happens time after time after time. The Israelites lose their focus amongst their blessings. The truth is in the United States, the United States is a lot like that today. We're, we're in the land of milk and honey and so many people have, have gone and worshipped other things. They've worshipped, seems like everything but God. It may not be like pagan gods like, like the Israelites, but it looks very similar. We worship our careers. 
We worship our cars, our homes, our video games, our TVs, our, mu- our music, our movies, our sports, our sports teams, our money. The list goes on and on. I love what John Piper says. He says this, The chief end of, a ma- of man is to, give, is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. If God is going to lead us to a time when we give him the most glory, something tells me we're going to have to spend some time in the wilderness. Principle four. God will usually strip us of everything we depend on other than himself. Think about this for a moment. Gideon had 32,000 men. And God said, you have too many. And finally, Gideon has these, these 300 well-trained farmers ready for battle. And that's when Gideon has, has a second meeting with God. So Gideon, Gideon's meeting with God and, and got ready, ready to get his, his art. Like God, Gideon's ready to like, all right, God, I'm ready for my arsenal. Give me all the explosives and everything we're going to take on these guys with. And this is what God tells them to take. He says, tell your men to take their trumpets, clay jars, torches, and their voice. There is no mention of swords, bows, javelins, or spears, or explosives. Just trumpets, clay jars, torches, and a voice. What is your go-to thing when you get into a situation, when the rug is pulled out from under you, when the odds are against you, where do you go? What is your go-to thing? That thing is going to be your idol. That's the thing you ultimately trust in, and God will take all that away from you when you're out in the wilderness. For, for you, it might be an addiction. It, it, might, be, it might be food. You, you might just start eating a lot when, when you just run into a tough time. Or maybe for some of you, you just shut down. You shut down and, and you head out somewhere and no one knows where you go. You just want to be alone. You might be the person that goes to everyone to get advice until you hear what it is you want to hear. Maybe you think, maybe you think your friends will abandon you, but not in reality, God is stripping you of everything you have. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, you just, I'll stay busy at work. I'll do anything I can not to have to face the wilderness. God takes everything away in the wilderness until you're forced to depend upon him. Here's the best part of getting to the point where you can't do anything but, but depend on God. The best part is, is, it's when you, is when you drop to your knees and you tell God, without you it cannot be done. I believe that's the best part. The Apostle Paul says, when I am weak is when I'm strong. And the fifth principle, God will send us encouragement when we need it most. God sends you encouragement when you grow faint-hearted. And the truth is, is that life is tough, right? We all at some point grow faint-hearted. At this point, God says to Gideon, I sense you're a little bit afraid. Well, yeah, God, it's 300 to 135,000. And they've got all these weapons and we have our trumpets. I guess I could hit them on the head with my trumpet. But I'm God, I'm a little afraid. God tells Gideon, take your servant Pura and go to the enemy camp. There's something there that I want to show you. And God leads Gideon down to the edge of the enemy camp. And there is a tent there. 
It's an enemy tent, a Midian tent. And Gideon overhears one of the Midians say this. He says, he's, he's saying this, out of, this is my interpretation. Dude, I just had an awesome dream. He said a big loaf of barley bread came rolling down a hill and knocked over this tent. This is how his friend's response, Judges 17, 7, 14, pay close attention to this, says his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into the hands. Really? That's how you interpret the dream? I feel like I could have done a better job. Maybe they're out of bread. There's no bread left. There's no food. Look, done, done. I don't know how they got that out of that. Gideon was excited about this though, right? And, and they was so excited about this, they, they stopped and worshiped right there. They, like, they're on the outskirts of the enemy camp and they held a worship service. They don't care who's listening. They're not afraid because God already told them that they're going to take Midian. Encouragement is one of the most powerful things when it comes to leadership. And God already knows, knows what John Maxwell says so well about encouragement. And his book, Developing the Leader Around You, Maxwell says this, most people require encouragement to propel them forward. Encouragement helps people reach their potential and empowers them by giving them energy to continue even when they make mistakes. Physician George Adams says encouragement is oxygen for the soul. God sent encouragement to Gideon when he needed it most, and he does the same for you today. It was oxygen for Gideon's soul. He stopped everything he was doing, and they, they worshiped. Just yesterday, I remember it was like, I had like less than 24 hours to find out I was going to be uh, standing up here giving today's message. And I was overwhelmed by, by so many text messages and people saying, you're going to do awesome. You're going to do great. I can't tell you the encouragement. I was in the nursery this morning and, and someone popped their head in, hey, I'm praying for you. The enc- encouragement is so incredible and it, it, it allows you to keep going and push forward. Be encouraged by God's word. I know I have. So many scriptures I've read and, and me and Lindsay have read that have uh, encouraged us so much. Be encouraged by his works. But be encouraged by his word. But you got to read it. And finally, principle six. God is always working on the other side of the camp to accomplish his purposes. If you miss this last point, I believe you're going to miss the most important one. You've got to understand this. God is always working on the other side of the camp to accomplish his purposes. When God is working over here, he's also working over, we're over here. When you pray to God for a friend who's in trouble and desperately needs him to, to know him, God is not only working in your life, he's working in their life. You do need to be faithful, though, in the wilderness because God God is always working no matter where you are. How are 300 men going to defeat 135,000? How's that going to happen? It happens this way. In the middle of the night, the Israelites circled the camp, and at the right time, the Israelites took the clay jars, lifted them over their heads, and crashed them down onto the ground. Now, remember, it's the middle of the night. There's a, a... uh, change a watch going on. When the clay jars break, they make a loud noise. The Israelites light their torches. Then they say, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. 
And since that dream uh, that we, we just interpreted earlier, it, it's, it's, it's spread throughout the camp. And so, so the Midianites were already terrified and scared at, at even the slightest movement. And, and everything in that moment it caused sheer panic and chaos. And they started killing each other. And God defeated the Midians, not the Israelites. The Israelites followed the command and the plan of God, and they trusted that God would be working on the other side of the camp. So let's recap the six principles. God will always use every opportunity to build your faith. He will lead you to do which brings him the most glory. He may require you to do something that is unreasonable. He will strip you of everything so that you can depend on him. He'll always send you encouragement when you need it the most. And God is always working on the other side of the camp. He's always working in somebody else's life too. If you find yourself in the wilderness, I cannot tell you how long you'll be there or or why you're there or what God is going to do with it. But I can tell you this. If you live by these six principles, God will achieve his purposes in you and will send you encouragement when you grow faint-hearted And you can rest assured he will use your wilderness experience for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, God, you are so awesome. God, we, we look to the, uh, to, to the story of Gideon and we, we, we can grow so much out of it. God, we are so encouraged by those words. And God, I know there are people in this room today that are in the wilderness. And God, I lift those people up to you. I pray that they will dive deep into your word, God that in the wilderness they will discover who you truly are and what you want for them. God, thank you for, for being a, a God of restoration, of, of never forgetting us, God, because we mess up bad and, and we, we have other idols so often. But God, only you, only you can restore us and take us out of the wilderness. And for that, we are grateful. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Now it's time to go. And as you go, I want to encourage you this week to keep reading your storybooks. This is the week where you'll definitely want to keep reading. Have you ever seen the movie, the Rambo movies? Yeah, this week's reading is a lot like that. So lots of bloodshed, violence, swords, honor, valor. The book of Judges is a man's book, but everyone should, everyone should read it. There's so much that we can learn from Gideon and Samson too and about leadership and about faithfulness in God. If you're in the wilderness today, look at the story of Gideon. Know that God is doing a work inside of you right now. If you're not in the wilderness, remember a time when you were. And don't hesitate to share the story with someone who needs to hear it most so they can learn and grow as well. Have a great week.